Bibles tonight, if you would, go to the book of Philippians chapter 1. And if you can, let's stand tonight out of respect for the Word of God. Philippians chapter number 1, and just a couple verses. As we continue our series on Sunday nights, Finding Joy in the Journey, and I've subtitled this series, It's a Choice to Rejoice. I hope that you have a joyful spirit and that you can rejoice in all things. Again, I say rejoice. And so there's a lot to be joyful for in the Christian life. And I've entitled the lesson tonight, the message, Our Fellowship in the Gospel. Our Fellowship in the Gospel. And so tonight, just a few verses from chapter 1, verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. And so well, let's read these together tonight, all right? So if you have your Bibles there, beginning in verse number 2 down through verse number 5, all right? Let's begin. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day until now. Paul was a thankful man. I read as God allows Paul to write these words. And how many of you, when you read your Bible and many of the epistles in the New Testament, were written by Paul, the apostle, who used to be Saul, the persecutor? I just, I've never forgot that. Because I know how I was before I got saved. I'm still nothing special other than because of the grace of God. But uh, I've never got over my salvation, and I know this, Paul never got over his salvation. I don't think he ever got to the place where he forgot what God did in his heart. And I think this book is a great opportunity for us to always have a joyful spirit. And uh, fellowship is a part of Christian life. I've been in some churches where uh, most time, and I hope you understand these statements, is some churches, uh, they're all doctrine and fellowship. Now, certainly, I don't downplay doctrine. We need the doctrine of the Word of God. In some churches, they place all the emphasis on doctrine, and there's no fellowship. Then I go to other churches, and it's all about the fellowship and no doctrine. And certainly there needs to be the Word of God and there needs to be the practicality of it, the living out. What good is it to believe something if you can't convey it to this world we live in? And so we need, listen, you need, whether you believe it or not, we all need the fellowship of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul's conveying to this church in Philippi. And I believe God wants us to catch it tonight also. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Pray that you bless our study in the Word of God tonight. May it be profitable. Lord, bless your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Thank you for standing. In the passage tonight, as I mentioned, we see right from these first couple verses some basic elements of what I would call church life. Uh, I think about how 
Uh, I spend most of my day, and I realize I'm in the ministry, but even prior to God calling me into the ministry, my life as a Christian revolves around the church. Uh, I love the church. You know why? Because Jesus loved the church. He loved it so much that he gave himself for the church. So when I consider life, I also realize that church is a huge part of the life of a Christian. And we need to understand church life. And one of the privileges of being a part of a church is this matter of fellowship. The reason that he's writing here is he's writing for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's talking about it within the confines of a local body of believers. For instance, tonight, we are known as Bible Baptist Church, a local body of believers that have assembled together. We come together with one common bond, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we think about this matter of fellowship. It's a Bible word. And when you look at it there in your notes, the, the Greek word for the word fellowship comes from a root meaning common or shared. In other words, it's people that share a common interest. The one thing, as different as we all are, that has brought us all together tonight is the Lord Jesus Christ. We come together to worship Him and to have fellowship. Christian fellowship, somebody said, is two-dimensional. And it has to be vertical before it can be horizontal. In other words, there needs to be fellowship with God the Father before there can be proper fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Hold your place here in the book of Philippians and let me show you a couple verses. Go over to 1 John. 1 John. And I want you to look in 1 John chapter number 1, this little small book towards the book of the Revelation. And I want you to see a couple verses here in chapter number 1. Now, look what it says here in verse number 1. That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life. For the, word, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it. Bear witness and show unto you, that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Now, look here. Do you have your thinking caps on tonight? He's talking about that which was from the beginning, which our eyes have seen, we've looked upon. Notice he calls what he's talking about the word of life. Anybody know who he's talking about? Jesus. Now watch. Let's read on. He says in verse number 3, that, uh, that which we have seen and heard, Declare we unto you that ye may also have, here's the word, fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you want a biblical definition of what fellowship is, it's spending time with God the Father and God the Son. If we're going to say that we're going to get together and have fellowship, and yet we exclude God the Father and God the Son, then we're not having biblical fellowship, right? That's what the Bible says. Now, going back to the book of Philippians, Christian fellowship, again, is something that has to be horizontal between us and God before it can be vertical. But here's where fellowship started. God instituted fellowship even in the garden. I mentioned that this morning, how God 
He, he created man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into man and he became a living soul. And God, the creator God, chose to spend time fellowshipping with man. That amazes me every time I think about how God wants to spend time with us. And listen, as I have come to understand from the Word of God that even as I spend time with God, I need to spend time with other brothers and sisters in Christ in this matter of fellowship. So I want you to see the first element as we look at those verses we read tonight, beginning in verse number two, I want you to see the first of the elements of church life that Paul writes about. Notice he begins with, in verse number two, the spirit of Christianity. Now we're talking about Bible Christianity. There's a lot of people today who say they're Christians, but they're far from what the Bible teaches. But I love this thought here, the spirit of Christianity. Look at verse number two again. Two key words, and let's see if you can pick them out. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, first of all, he mentions the expression of the spirit of Christianity, the expression. Paul loved his fellow believers. He loved them. And the word grace that he mentions here, as it says here, grace be unto you. Uh, that, that was a way that they greeted one another. Grace to you. Grace be unto you. And we don't say that anymore. We're just kind of like, hey, what's up? You know, that's our way of saying grace to you. But this is what we see here is this matter of grace. Here's what grace means. It means favor. To have favor. Uh, like, for instance, a good passage to understand, Luke 1.30, the angel said unto Mary, Fear not, for thou hast found favor with who? With God. Certainly Mary, we don't worship Mary, but you can't take away that she was a vessel that was usable by God. And she found favor. I hope your life, my life, is one that we live in such a way that we have God's grace upon our lives, that we have God's favor. And the expression that he mentions here is this matter of having the grace of God. I mentioned this morning Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's all God. We cannot save ourselves. We understand that there needs to be the exercising of faith, but it's the gift of God. It's by grace. Grace is the favor of God upon us. It is a gift from God himself. The other expression that Paul mentions here in verse number two is not only does he say grace be unto you, but notice the second word, that he expresses is and peace. Two good words here, grace and peace. And here's the thought is that the other expression being peace, you cannot have peace unless there's first grace that's been exercised. See, grace brings peace. The grace of God. I've seen many people's lives in turmoil but when God's favor is there, when God's grace has been experienced, when somebody comes to know Christ as their Savior, no matter what may happen in their life, I see a peace that passes all human understanding. I've seen many people that if they were not saved, it would have been a totally different situation. Some of you have, have borne some things in your life because of the grace of God. 
And it's a wonderful thing to have experienced the grace of God. And that grace brings along the peace of God. Romans chapter 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. In other words, we've been saved, the grace of God, justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, the Bible says that God made peace possible. Well, how did he do that? Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He he gave us the opportunity to have peace. Look, Jesus even said himself when he was on this earth, he says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth peace. And so that's the kind of peace that we, in Paul, he is writing here, he's expressing the true sentiments of the spirit of Christianity is grace and peace. And so we see the expression of it, but notice the origin. I've already mentioned that grace and peace, they originate from the Father and from the Son. Somebody said God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. In other words, God is grace and God is peace. Throughout the epistles of the New Testament, we see that the Father and the Son are equal in their existence as God. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. They, they struggle with that. It is, I thought this was the Son. How can they be equal? And yet the Word of God tells us there's many places, but in Jude verse number 1, the Bible says, look at it there, Jude the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So Paul begins this small book in the New Testament, this book about having the joy of the Lord, joy in the journey of the Christian life, and he starts with the spirit of Christianity, and the spirit of Christianity is expressed by grace and peace. And the origin of that grace and peace is that it comes from God himself. But he moves on from the spirit of Christianity to the supplication of the apostle. Now, to make supplication means to humbly ask, to make a request. Uh, When you spend time with the Lord and you maybe go to God in prayer, you are making supplication to God. And look what the Bible says here in verse number three. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. How many of you can think of someone tonight that everything you think about them is something that you're thankful for? Seems like every person I think of, there's this with this person, and there's this with this person. And and I guarantee you when they think about me, there's this, this, and this, and this about this person. But Paul writes here to this church, and he says, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Every last thought that I have of you. Notice his supplication was comprised of gratitude. Now, folks, I, you know, it's just the Lord that worked things out, but understand, all of us, under, we start to think about the month of November, Thanksgiving. I mean, I, I think for a Christian, we need to understand that we should be thankful every day of our life, not just one month of the year. Paul's attitude was 
that he was grateful for those who were believers in Philippi. I, listen, there's not one person, God knows my heart, there's not one person in this church that I'm not thankful for. I'm not grateful to God for that individual. Every one of us, God has saved us and God has brought us together. And notice those in, in Philippi, they were grateful for their salvation too. Remember, we studied a while back, you can go back to the book of Acts. In the first converts you find in, in the book of Acts in Philippi, Remember Lydia, remember the seller of purple and her household. They became the first Christian converts in Europe. And many believe they were the nucleus of this church in this continent, this first church. Their generosity and their hospitality that they had, and you can even see it in the book of Acts, is something that characterized this, this congregation for years to come. I think about when people come to our church. And I don't, I don't tell people what to say. I don't bait people uh, so that they'll say certain things about our church. But I'll tell you, this is what most people will say to me if they make comments, and I hear them quite often. I've heard people even recently say, this is the first time that I've been at this church and I feel so at home. I've had other people say, I didn't know a church could be like this church is. I've had, I've had grown men who have said, I love this church. You know why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is here. I hope we never lose that. I hope we're, we ourselves are thankful for our own salvation, but I, I hope that we collectively as a church get to the place where we never grow tired of seeing other people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, when you start thinking about a missions conference, that's what a missions conference is about. It's people maybe we'll never meet that need to be saved. The Bible says, as you think about this matter of being grateful, 1 Corinthians 1.4, again, this is the Apostle Paul writing to those in Corinth. He said, I thank my God, listen, always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. I love the little song, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Is that not what Jesus told the woman that was brought supposedly in adultery? And those standing with stones ready to take her life? One by one, they left. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. That's the kind of God that we have in Paul said, I thank my God always on your behalf. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, again, Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. See, I st I st look, folks, if we don't believe that the gospel still works, we might as well lock the doors, turn out the lights, and go home. Seriously. I still believe that God is still wanting people to be saved. And I still believe that we ought to be a people that are thankful for the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. That's what makes the fellowship of the gospel so very special. A person that understood that, 
and made many comments, but one that I was reading was Helen Keller. Most of us know much about her life, but listen to what she said. So much has been given me, and I have no time to ponder over that which has been denied. She said, I'm just not going to give myself to think about things that could have been. She said, God's been so good to me. And I think all of us could attest to the fact that God's grace is sufficient, that God is so good to us all the time. And I see a people here that were grateful for their salvation. And secondly, they were grateful for their stewardship. I mean, God had given them this opportunity to manage his affairs while they were there in Philippi. Randy Alcorn said, it's impossible to become a fully developed follower of Jesus without also becoming a fully developed steward of your resources. See, giving is an evidence of our faith. It was an evidence of the faith of those in Philippi because it helps us to understand that when we give, what we're really doing is we're trusting God. I saw many faces this morning when I preached that message out of 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. I saw the looks on many people's faces that maybe either had never heard that before or ever saw that in the Word of God or maybe by faith have never practiced that. And I could tell by the looks on their face uh, God, if, if this is something you want me to do, then you're going to have to help me. You know, it's this matter of trusting God. Look what the Bible says in Philippians 4, verse 15. He writes later on in this small book, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, notice what he says, No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but ye only. See, they, they were a, a special group of people to the Apostle Paul, and here's why. is because they were grateful for what God had entrusted to them, and they used those resources that God had given to them to help the man of God do what God had called him to do. And that's one of the reasons why they were so dear to the Apostle Paul. See, the more passionate our faith is, the more consistent our giving will be. Let me say that again. The more passionate our faith is, the more consistent we will be in our giving. So I see here that Paul starts with this spirit of this the spirit of, of Christianity, and he talks about the supplication, how that it was comprised of gratitude. But notice in verse number four, I see that it also continues in joy. Look at verse four, always in every prayer of mine. For you all, making request with what? With joy. Paul says, listen, when I pray, my heart's not heavy. He said, I start thinking about you. I start thinking about the believers there in Philippi. And he says, and I, I have no problem having great joy when I think about you. Now, he's making a request here. The word request means th that it's a need. He's asking. He's entreating God or, or sometimes it might even be asking an individual, but Paul is entreating the Lord here. He's requesting or making a supplication. The word request and supplication are the, the same words. Paul's making this request with joy. Now you say, what's the big deal, pastor? Well, if you know anything about Paul and where he was when he wrote this small letter that we call the book of Philippians... How could Paul have joy? He was sitting in prison. I don't know how many people would be joyful being imprisoned. 
Paul was under house arrest, he was chained to a Roman soldier. But yet he mentions here, he says, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. You know why he could be joyful? Because joy is something that only comes from the Holy Ghost. God was giving him the joy. It was not from some conducive circumstances, some favorable circumstances. Look at Romans 14, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I mean, listen, folks, God is the one that is joy and that gives us. It's one of the fruits of the spirit that we see in the word of God. Joy comes from serving others. You say, I thought Paul was in prison. He was. But he was serving those at the church in Philippi from his prison cell through his prayers for them and certainly through the writings that God allowed him to pen these words. Hey, you have to know that these words were an encouragement to those in that church in Philippi. And so joy comes from serving others and joy also comes from new Christians. I love it when people are are, are being saved. I wouldn't want to be a part of a church where you never see anybody saved. Uh, To me, it's like having new babies running around the church because the Bible calls them babes in Christ. Uh, I remember whenever I first got saved, listen, I was 20 years old and I knew very little about the Word of God. I know a little bit more now, but I mean, I knew very little back then of the Word of God. And I remember there were people that came to me and began to mentor me and take me under their wing and share things with me. And hey, listen, everybody has to start somewhere. I'm glad that somebody took an interest in me and somebody would hold the bottle for me and somebody would feed me a scripture and share something with me and encourage me along the way. Somebody would burp me and change my spiritual diaper and all these types of things. You know why? Because they're babies. Sometimes babies don't know how to act. They don't know that they're supposed to eat certain things and not eat other things. You know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't been around a baby for a while. You should come over to our house sometime when our grandchildren are there. You're like, get that out of your mouth, you know. Don't eat that. You know, my, we went to see my mom, and my mom with her, with her, her Alzheimer's, she, we were sitting there at the, at the lunch table, and we've got my granddaughter, she's six months old, and my mom hands her, her her glass of Sprite soda. And, and my daughter says, uh, Grandma, she can't have that. Well, my mom goes, well, why not? <laughs> Abby says, well, it's, you know, she's only six months old. Now, what my daughter doesn't know is they used, my mom used to give us Sprite when we were like three months old. <laughs> I got tickled one time. We were sitting there and there was it was the most common. I should have recorded a couple of those meals because there were three other ladies. There was four ladies sitting around this round table. My dad was there. I was there. My daughter was there. My granddaughter was there. And, and these ladies, I'm going to tell you, we had, we just had the best time. This one lady sitting across the table, her hair was kind of orangish color. And she goes by the name of Johnny. And uh, her last name is Johnson. And I guess growing up, they just called her Johnny. So that's what she goes by. And so I was there the day before we were talking and having a good time. And Johnny, you know, she was, she laughed, cracked, smiled. I didn't know Johnny had been in the hospital for about nine days before we went there. My mom and dad had not seen her because she was in the hospital. 
And by the time I, I got there, we were just cutting up. I was just being the way I always am. I like to have a good time no matter where I'm at. So we were there, and we laughed, and I was just kind of making light of things, trying to let them enjoy uh, the semblance of life that they have in the nursing home. And the next day, I was there for lunch, and, and we were, I was cutting up again. And that Johnny looked across the table, and she says, I can't remember the last time I have laughed this much. And I looked at her and I said, I said, you know, the Bible says that a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. And she looked at me like. And I said, you know, it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. And she went. <laughs> and she says, you got anything else? I said, I got more than you can handle. We had the best of time. But folks, I'm going to tell you something is we have to understand no matter where we are, no matter what situation we're in, that there needs to be the excitement. And we need to understand sometimes when it comes to babies, uh, one of the ladies, she didn't come to the table that many times and she came one day and I've never seen someone with no teeth eat a piece of fried chicken. <laughs> I've never seen that. I mean, that poor chicken, there was nothing left on it when she got there. I, it, was, it, was, it was something else. Just watch, watch her eating it. And so she sees my granddaughter sitting there, and she grabs, you know how they, in restaurants and various things, they got uh, crackers, like two crackers in a, in a cellophane-wrapped thing. And she had, she had a pack of those on her plate, and so she, she starts to hand them to my daughter. She says, here, give these to, to your daughter. And my, my daughter says, oh, she can't have those. She's only six months old. She can't eat crackers. She doesn't have any teeth. And the lady says, well, I don't either. <laughs> now, folks, look here. Someone, someone has to care enough when somebody does get saved and they become a spiritual babe. Somebody has to care enough to, to nurture them. To, to feed them, to, to help them along life's way. So, look, I'm glad somebody did that for me. I, you can probably look back in your life and remember somebody did that for you. And, and look, there's, there's great joy when people are being saved and what Paul was doing. Listen, I, I love the emphasis of his life. Even when he found himself in prison, you know what he was doing? He was pouring his life into others. None of us are going to live forever. You know, God gives me more years. All I want to do is spend my years pouring what God's given to me from the Word of God, pouring it into other people. And there's great joy when we see new people come to Christ and we see people added to the church family. Listen, how about this? When they're added to the heavenly family. Look at the verse here, Luke 15, 7. I say unto you, likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than 99 just persons which need no repentance. See, Paul begins with the spirit of Christianity right from the beginning. He says, listen, you need to understand the grace of God and the peace of God. And then he begins to make his supplication and he talks about how grateful he is for what God has done for him and how he has great joy in what God has been doing in his heart and how he has joy for those that have been reached with the gospel. 
But then notice, thirdly, he then moves on to this matter of the service of ministry. What is ministry? Well, ministry is a united fellowship. Look at verse number 5. The Bible says there in the beginning of that verse, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. See, our fellowship in the gospel, it's, it's what brings unity. It brings a sense of belonging. The Greek word for fellowship, maybe you've heard it. How many of you have heard the word koinonia? Anybody heard the word? There's some, some churches that name their church koinonia church. The word means fellowship. Now all of you know some Greek. There you go. And uh, you could say it's all Greek to me, but that's what the word means. Here's what it, 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 to help you understand, it means an association, communion, joint participation. In this particular instance, the word actually deals with, it is the gospel that gives us our common bond. It gives us our purpose as a local church. The same word is used when Paul is writing to Philemon. He's beckoning Philemon in that small book in the New Testament to release the man by the name of Onesimus. And the word that he uses there is the word partner. It's the same word. Look in Philemon 1.17, if thou count me therefore a partner, in other words, having the same fellowship, receive him as myself. Look, we, we should thank God that we can partner together with others in the ministry. Folks, listen, it takes all of us to do the work of God here in this place. What we need to do is partner together. We had, we had the uh, family join this morning. Good to see them back here, you know, the McCauley family. And, and I know that they have been and they will be a blessing. And I was, I was being truthful is I'm looking forward to serving God together with them and with every one of you. And it's a great joy to serve God together, to partner together. And the fellowship of the local church, honestly, is bigger than ethnicity and race and place and background and culture. Spurgeon said this, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. Listen to what he writes, and this was years ago. He said that Satan's policy is to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints one from another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly intercourse than we do. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. The devil loves to divide God's people, to cause a schism in the body. Because when there is a division among God's people, then guess what happens? The work of God, the ministry, is halted. But God says, listen, that ought not to be that way among us. And that's why Paul is writing here in verse number 5. He says, we need to be together. We need to be united. One word that I love in the book of Acts is the word that they were in one accord. They had all things common. There was a bond that was there. They were unified as a fellowship. Ministry is a united fellowship in many ways. One way is through giving. Philippians chapter 4, look at it. He says again that, you know also, Philippians, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only, for even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Paul said, I had needs. I mean, I was out serving God, doing the work of the ministry, and God used you to supply my needs so that I could continue to do what God had called me to do. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I don't take it lightly 
that this church supports myself and Brother Kenny and Brother Chris so that we can do the work of the ministry. I don't take that lightly. Uh, I'm very serious. You can, you can ask e either one of those young men. Listen, I work them. I work myself, and I, I don't do that to toot my horn. But listen, if God called me to be the pastor of this church to do the work of the ministry, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the work. Some people say, Pastor, you need to slow down. Listen, we'll work till Jesus comes. That's what I say. There's much to be done. I'm not going to wear myself out so that I cannot be effective. But listen, I'm not going to sit around and Brother Gilbert always thinks that I got my feet up on my desk when he comes in my office. He's been trying since I've been here to catch me with my feet up on my desk. And every time he comes in, he goes, did you just take your feet down? Listen, there is great joy in being a part of a fellowship that gives. Ministry also is united fellowship through the preaching of the gospel. Listen, folks, we make much around here about the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. Look at the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom ye are called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Hey, you know what happens when the word of God is preached? The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, when people begin to make decisions, it's because God used the preached word to speak to them. I had some folks that came up to me today Honestly, when I preach a message like I did this morning, I shudder because anytime you start talking about money and I joked, I, I mean, I did everything I could because I realized it's not the most popular subject, but I had folks come up to me and say, Pastor, God spoke to me about this and God shared with, showed me some things about this. Hey, listen, folks, that's all God, every last bit of it. But we need the preaching and we can be united in our fellowship through the preaching of the gospel. Ministry is also a united fellowship through biblical separation. We don't talk about this much, but listen, if we are going to be Bible-believing Christians, then from time to time, we are going to have to separate ourselves from some things that God tells us to separate from. There is standards, personal and ecclesiastical standards of separation. If you've never studied it out, here's one verse that I'll show you tonight. James 1:27. pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The Bible tells us to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Uh, folks, we have to understand that if we are going to be effective in this world that we live in, if we are going to do something for the cause of Christ, there's going to be times where we are going to have to be united in our fellowship and we're going to have to separate ourselves from some things. And this is what Paul is helping us understand when he talks about the service of the ministry is that we need a united fellowship. And look at secondly, we need an unbroken fellowship because again, he says, uh, your fellowship in the gospel, notice the wording here, from the first day, in other words, when that church began, when I reached those first converts in, in Europe and that church was formed, he says, from that day until the time that he wrote that, he says, that this has been an unbroken fellowship. Lydia, the jailer, the Philippian jailer, the other new Christians, that, you know what they were? They were faithful to the Lord. And that's exactly what you and I need to be, is we need to be faithful and unbroken fellowship. 
When is it time to stop being faithful to the Lord? Never. We need to be faithful until Jesus comes. So when I think about this, look, one day, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get the privilege to see the Lord face to face. What a day that will be. And I think like the songwriter wrote, I'll tell you this, if we stay faithful, we will easily be able to sing that song, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Let's be faithful in this day and hour, the fellowship in the gospel. He, Paul, Paul writes here, just a couple verses, and he writes about our spirit, the spirit of grace, and our supplication of joy, and our service together, every last bit of it is worth it all. Okay, you go back to the book of Acts, when the church began to be formed, and the Bible says there in verse 42, look at it, and they continued steadfastly. And notice the list that God gives us here in this verse, the apostles' doctrine. Where'd they get that doctrine from Jesus? He says they continued steadfastly in fellowship. There it is. He says they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread, and they continued steadfastly in prayers. The fellowship of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, it is a privilege to be a part of the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads this evening. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the word of God. As Paul is writing to this church, this body of believers, how exciting it is, his heart, his passion for them. Lord, he realizes that it's your work. It was your work. You began it. You saved those folks. And God, you have a work for them to do, those in Philippi, just like you have a work for us here at Bible Baptist Church in Pembroke Pines, Florida. And I think about the many souls that need to be saved. And Lord, we need to understand that we need to get the gospel out. And as we share the good news, other people will be saved. In just a few days, we'll have four missionaries that will pull onto our campus and from the Word of God, they will challenge us. And through their presentations, they'll share the burden that they have. Burden for people around the world, for military folks, and for those in Japan, and those right here in the United States of America. And Lord, it's all possible because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd help us Help us to be faithful in these days that you have us to be your church. And bless the invitation now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.